worship you not with our just with our hearts and, and with our, our souls and, and and whatnot. But Lord God, help us to pray, like worship you with our minds. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me to convey the the message of the text accurately. That I wouldn't give my own opinion, but rather would speak uh, the word as reflected in your heart, Lord. And I pray that you would be with the folks in this room and prepare their hearts to to um, come into come into your presence and to hear from you, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen. Um, we are on week five of a series on uh, church and discipleship. I'm trying to talk without tripping over stuff. Um, Jeremy, I've never seen one guy use so much stuff. Um, it's crazy. Um, so um, as we as we kind of dive into this, I'm going to give you some background. If you are um, if this is kind of your first week with us, or if you've missed some of the previous weeks, the sermons are actually online. The web address is in your bulletin. It's uh, sermon.net slash patching cracks, which um, if you want to check them out, um, like if you're having trouble sleeping at night and you know are, are going to go for dental work and you need something to pay attention to that makes the dental work seem not so bad, um, <laughs> you can, you can uh, check those out online. Um, the previous weeks, though, I'll give you a quick, quick rundown. The first week we looked at... Um, a passage in Peter that talks about Peter or Jesus being the cornerstone, and the cornerstone um, um, is sort of it was when they built buildings out of like stone exclusively, they would um, cut these stones exactly, and then they would line up the stones based on the position of the first one, and and it had to be really exact. And if you didn't line them up right, the rest of the building would look funny. Um, it, it would it would take on wrong angles, and eventually it would become unstable the more and more those errors were pronounced. And so, like like Jesus is this cornerstone, and what we as believers are called to do is to emulate him, is to model our lives after him, using him as the guideline for how our behavior and how our lifestyle should be. Um, and and this is sort of the beginning of our our talking about this idea that. Um, all believers are called to be disciples. We're not called to show up and sit and, and be spectators. Um, we're not called to, to um, put on a good show for, for the people of the world. We're called to be disciples, meaning we're supposed to mature spiritually and become something like more than what we are when we started. Um, and, and this is a whole process. Everyone's called to it. Um, like everyone who's a, who's a believer in Jesus, everyone who's a follower of Christ is called to discipleship. Um, last week we looked at this in the first church and how it was kind of the, the 100% focus of the early church. That is, you know, what they did. It's what their money was aimed at. That's what their, their meals were aimed at. That's what everything they did was about was this discipleship thing, was growing spiritually and becoming – did my microphone just turn off? Um, <laughs> was, was growing spiritually and becoming like Jesus – um, following this cornerstone, this guide into becoming like Jesus. And so this week we're going to do our second to last one in this series. Um, we're looking at the book of Titus. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Um, otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. Um, what's going on? Titus is um, a young pastor, right? Um, and and he, he's serving a church in Crete, which is in Greece. It's a little island. And um, Titus was sort of an enforcer for Paul. Paul would send Titus places where folks were messing up, and Titus was like the bare-knuckle guy, right? He was the guy who came in and cleaned messes up. Um, nobody could push Titus around. Um, in fact, actually, well, we won't get into it. Just be aware, Titus is a tough guy, right? Titus is a guy who handles people, like, sternly. 
And, and what's going on in this church was common to the rest of Greece at the time. There was a philosophical movement that was taking place in Greece where folks were beginning to throw off some of the old ways of Greek culture, and they were taking on this sort of new way of being. Um, and they were saying, well, wait a minute. We can live any way we want. Some of these old morals are no longer a big deal. And so suddenly you had where people who had been you know, married for a long time were buying into this idea, and then they were um, practicing more open relationships, so to speak. Um, they, there, there was a lot of like really loose living going on, and people were, were saying, well, this is the way it ought to be. Um, Christians were looking at this idea of freedom um, which the gospel is all about freedom. It's freeing us from our sins. And they were saying, well, wait a minute. If we're free in Christ, can't we do what they're doing? You know, doesn't that mean I can sleep with women who aren't my wife? And, and <laughs> there was some confusion that was going on in the church at the time. I can't because she'd kill me. Um, there was some confusion that was going on in the, in the church at the time where there were folks who were adopting some of this like crazy, crazy stuff that was going on. And they were stepping away from the standard Christian lifestyle and, and you know, moving in the direction. I'm going to put you on decaf, man. Um, <laughs> they're moving in the direction of this new lifestyle. And so Paul writes this letter. And what we're going to look at is what's called a Greek household code, right? In that culture, in Greece, they would have these household codes where you would memorize it as a child. And it would tell you what your expectations were in life, Right? And, and um, Paul uses these household codes frequently because, like, the Greeks understood them, right? Um, and so we're going to be looking at a household code. But before we get into that, I, I, need, to, I need to start with an illustration because I, I want to explain what's going on here. It's easy to miss it, and I'm going to pick on Michael. Michael, do you have your cell phone with you this morning? <laughs> Dinosaur phone. Michael, um, Michael's phone actually came from an archaeological dig, I think, right? In southern Montana. It, it, um, it's actually made out of stone. Um, I, I remember my first cell phone. Have any of y'all had more than one? And you, you go back about 10 years and, and, you know, like the cell phones were, were huge and they didn't do anything except make phone calls. I don't know how we lived. We were, it was like animals. I don't know. Um, and actually, I have Michael's cell phone from before. Um, <laughs> where, where before <laughs> Michael would carry the, the cans and the string around and, you know, you'd, <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, obviously I'm joking, right? Like, um, but then, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold up my phone, which I'm about to replace. I have an iPhone, I don't know, four and, and I'm going to replace it because I've broken most of the features now. Um, cause I am an awful clumsy person. Um, no. <laughs> Um, here's the progression. Um, did anybody use these as kids? Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about here? <laughs> um, and, and actually, if you do it right, these things sort of work, right? You can sort of stand at a long distance with that string pulled tight and sort of hear the message that's coming across. It's not quite as clear as, say, Michael's phone, but it's close. <laughs> um, the, the message gets across a little better here because it's a little better technology. But actually, it's not even that different if you think about it because all that's happening with that is the sound is like vibrating down the string and it's coming out the other side. This is sending a different kind of vibration like these, 
you know, radio waves or whatever they are, um, and, and it's coming out the other side, and that's what it is. Um, thank you, Michael. <laughs> my, my iPhone, I can do, what, like Twitter and other stuff, right? Like, <laughs> um, I, can read, I can read the newspaper on my cell phone, right? Not the local paper, but like a lot of different papers I can read on my, on my phone. Like I, the communication is advanced because like there's this progression that takes place as time goes by, right? Um, a progression from very basic to extremely very basic, but not quite as basic, um, to much more advanced. And then, like, I, the iPhone 6 is com- or 5? 6 is coming out in a month. And, and apparently it's going to be, like, the next big thing, and people will line up all the way around Haver to get it. And they'll have to put cows in the line to make it go all the way around. There's not that many people. Um, <laughs> but... But the communication progresses. And so as we look at this household code, it's very easy to look at these codes and to get into the mindset of these are rules I'm supposed to follow, so I'm okay in front of God. And that's not what he's talking about here. And he gives it away in the first line. This is Titus 2.1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Um, We're going to keep going because he says first, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. He means know what's true, right? And when stuff comes out of your mouth, be sure you're saying things that are accurate to what's true. And that the words you're saying, um, like, and your manner of speech and your way of carrying yourself reflect what is true, okay? Um, Has anybody ever met a Christian who told you things and it felt like they were hitting you with a heavy like hammer and what they were saying was true but there was about no love in it and they weren't really concerned about whether or not you were better off or closer to god as a result they were just like busting out their knowledge to beat you over the head with i'm i'm not pointing at anyone and i couldn't here actually most of the folks i've met here are pretty awesome um but but it's easy to meet folks who that is the way it is and if we speak in a manner that's in keeping with sound doctrine Not only are we speaking truthfully, right, but we are also speaking in such a way as to where we're reflecting the truth about who Jesus is. Um, It goes beyond that, though. Um, I I always, it always makes me uncomfortable when I, I talk to someone who will tell me all about Jesus in their lives, and then the next conversation I have with them, they have nothing but nasty things to say about their spouse, Right? Do they belong in the same, you know, in the same place? No. Um, what is it Job writes? You can't draw salt water and clean water out of the same well, right? Paul, is ta- or Paul, who's writing to Titus here, Paul is talking about a larger idea than just say the right things. He's talking about everything you say and how you say it needs to be in keeping with the truth of who Jesus is. Now we're going to hit pause here. The truth of who Jesus is, right? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, God looks at us and says, these people have sin. Is there anybody here who doesn't have sin? Because if so, you're in the wrong place. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're horrible people. But we're horrible people who are saved by grace because God sent his Son to take punishment for our sin for us. Jesus, literally, every bad thing I ever did, Jesus takes punishment for it. It's like he steps in front of the bullet for me and takes it for me, and I'm forgiven if I accept that forgiveness that he has for me, okay? 
Like, that is where forgiveness comes from. And that forgiveness gives us new life. We're new creations as a result of being in Jesus. Like, as a result of him dying for us, we're given new life from the sinful death that we were living in. And so when we speak truth and when we speak properly, it needs to be a reflection of, like, that truth. It needs to come out in who we are. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I watch Abby, my little uh, three-year-old, and Abby, the one who was on stage over and over again today, for those of you all who are new with us, um, Abby will take a peanut butter sandwich and go in the middle of the living room and put the plate on the floor and walk away, and about a second later, our dog comes running in, he grabs a sandwich and he runs out, and she turns and she starts yelling. And I look at her and I think, Abigail, he's a dog. The moment you put that sandwich down, it's gone. It's gone forever because the moment you put it down and step away, he's going to eat it. Why? Because he's a dog. That's what dogs do, right? He lives out what he is. Um, In the same way, not that we're supposed to steal sandwiches, but what we are is supposed to be a reflection, or how we act and how we speak and everything else is supposed to be a reflection of what is going on inside us. And so if we are living as people who are forgiven and saved by grace and drawing closer to God and, like, in love with our Savior, like, our lifestyle should reflect that. Um, So we're going to go on. We're started late, and we're running late, and I'm going long. uh, Sorry. Um, Two-two. Beginning of the household code, it always starts with the man. Always. That's the way that Greek household codes are. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. So he stops and he says, listen, if you are an older man who is reflecting Jesus, these are some things that are going to be a part of it. Temperate means not going out and getting drunk regularly. It doesn't say not drinking. I'm just telling you. It means not getting drunk regularly, right? Um, It means not like living this kind of wild lifestyle Um, because we're supposed to reflect God's grace. doesn't mean don't drink. Don't hear me saying that. It means temperate. It means like living in moderation appropriately. Um, He goes on, dignified. does not mean wearing a suit and tie every day, right? There are folks who have taken this passage and used it as an excuse to say, men who are believers should dress in suits every day because that's what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, he probably didn't. Um, (laughs) In reality, um, what this is referring to is we're supposed to carry ourselves in a way that has dignity, right? We're supposed to carry ourselves in a way that reflects on God. Um, I I worked with a fella who um, um, we, we worked at the children's home together. This is a church institution that does mental health care for children. And, and he was arrested for domestic violence. And the very next day, he lost his job. Why did he lose his job? Well, because he's a reflection of the organization, right? And his behavior did not reflect the values and the attitudes of the organization. And ultimately, no matter what happened, it was in the newspaper that he had been arrested for domestic violence. And that was the end. Because um, our behavior reflects on our place of work, right? It just does. In the same way, our behavior reflects on God. And dignified, um, it's not never raise your voice, right? It's not don't participate in pig wrestling at the county fair. It's not. It's don't have huge knockdown, drag out fights with your family in public. Don't 
you know, like I, I worked as a waiter for a while, and there's that stereotype about Sunday morning being the worst day of the week to be a waiter. Has anybody else experienced that? Am I the only one who ever waited tables? Because Christians come out and they don't leave any money. Instead, they leave gospel tracts. And it's not that the gospel isn't invaluable. It's that, like, if I'm working and you stiff me to tell me about Jesus, that's not dignified, is it? It's not acting in a manner reflecting God's grace and love. It's not acting in a manner that reflects Jesus. Um, Dignified refers to paying attention to how you live and making sure it reflects properly on Jesus. Um, Sensible, uh, sound in faith, in love. This is a huge deal. Um, Christians often forget in love, right? Um, If I see someone screwing up and I call them out on the spot because it makes me look awesome, that's not love. If I work to help folks do better, that's love, right? Now, Paul starts with the older men. He moves on to older women. And this is where something huge happens, right? Um, Follow this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage young women. Now, we're going to hit pause there. Um, He gives instructions to younger women. Um, By the way, same thing with the older men. Um, reverent in behavior, right? Reverent is a word that would be used um, kind of in comparison to a priest, per, per, you know, like performing their duties in a church or in a temple. Like, they're supposed to take what they do seriously, right? Which isn't all that far off of what he instructed the older men to do. But check this out. This is in a culture where everybody is acting wild, right? Everybody's saying, I don't need to do what's expected of me because I can do whatever I want. I don't need to be faithful to my spouse because I can do whatever I want. I don't need to not get drunk in the street every day because I can do whatever I want. I'm free. And Paul says, listen, you shouldn't do that. Um, you should, for women, he says, listen, do what you're doing. Do what's like, like your, your, um, your role in life. Do what is expected of you. But do it in a way um, that you're taking it seriously. Um, there are times in my life when I've done things, but I've sort of done them half-hearted. Am I the only one who's ever done that? Let me just – he's saying if you're going to do something, and he, Paul writes this elsewhere. He says, do it as though you're serving Jesus. Everything you do, do it like you're serving Jesus um, because our behavior should reflect on Christ, and we should do it like beautifully. We should do it right. We should do it with reverence toward the fact that we're serving Jesus in everything. When I make sandwiches for the kids' lunch, um, I'm – doing it for jesus as much as i'm doing it for the kids um when i do it sloppy i'm doing it sloppy for the kids and for jesus um my wife is back there making faces at me um (laughs) not malicious gossips meaning the words that come out of your mouth right are not ones where you're eating the other guy's lunch every time it, it starts um and this happens right does anybody do this it's easy isn't it it's especially easy once you see somebody else really screwing up because then, like, you can really dig in and enjoy it. And you can spend an hour talking about how somebody else is, like, really messing up their lives. Um, ultimately, he's teaching against this. He's teaching against gossip. Like, it is a big deal. It's not okay. Enslaved too much wine means don't get drunk. Um, teaching what is good. Now, we're going to hit pause here again. Teaching what is good is an awkward phrase. Because in Greek, it means something very different than what it means in English. It does mean teaching what is good, but it also means being a good teacher in the respect that you live in a way that your behavior and your lifestyle teaches those who are around you. Got it? 
Um, if I'm approached by a person who gossips every day and they tell me not to gossip, are they modeling what they're talking about? We're to live the lifestyle, right, that we're expected to teach to others. And Paul puts it on older women. Listen, what's your job? Your job is to teach younger women. This is the big D. It's discipleship. Um, The biblical model for discipleship is not for um, Pastor Eric to go around and teach everybody everything. Sorry. Everything I know would be like a five-minute session and we'd be done. That's right. Um, (laughs) Jess, could you get me a glass of water? Um, It's not for one person to teach everything, but it's for each of us to grow in our maturity and to stand near the folks. Oh, you're bringing me a bottle of water. You're so awesome. Um, It's for each of us to grow in our spiritual maturity and to stand close to folks who need to grow and to walk with them and model behavior and answer questions and help. Um, Has anybody ever had somebody in your life who's done this, who's walked next to you in life and helped you grow? When you were, like, done with them, you said, this person was huge for me. Um, If you do not have someone like that, you have been robbed. Um, And I say robbed because um, this is standard to what the church is supposed to be. This is standard to what we're supposed to do. If I have matured and I have grown spiritually, that means God has blessed me with the opportunity to do that, and I need to share it. I, I got talents. If I'm not doing it, I got talents that are buried in the yard, right? I got talents that I've hidden away and I ain't sharing. My job as a mature believer, Brooke's job as a mature believer, um, all of our jobs, if we are mature believers, is to help others grow spiritually. Um, this happens within our own families, but mostly within our own communities. Um, and it happens not by sitting down and teaching classes. It happens like over lunch, right? Some of the best conversations I've had with spiritual people um, have happened like over lunch or sitting around in a garage working on a car um, where the person turns to me and answers questions and tells me how to do what I'm doing better, how to grow spiritually, how to be a better believer, um, most of, most of the stuff I do like this is done while walking. Um, I go for walks with people, and I answer questions, and we talk. And that's, this is when I do this, this is what I do. I don't like, I don't want to teach classes. I want to spend time with people. Spiritual growth in the church, as the scripture describes it, is all relational. It's all having relationship with other folks, sharing like, like the truth, not just by saying it, but in everything we do and growing the folks around us as a result. Um, there's no greater blessing than being in a relationship with, like that from either side. As somebody who's done both sides, I'm going to tell you, either side. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Why does it talk about husbands? Well, because at the time there was kind of a rash of people like sleeping with people who they weren't married to. I mean, it was kind of a... And so like women who had been married a long time, he's saying you women who have been married a long time... Help out the ones who've only been married for a little while because guess what? It actually sort of generally gets easier in certain respects. If you've been married for three years, you probably have hit the point where you've started arguing. It does happen. I know that it seems like it won't. I, nobody's amening me here. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'm so happy my wife's not in here right now. Um, <laughs> this... 
this, this um, he's saying, listen, if you are in this place where you've experienced this stuff, stand together and help folks love their husbands. Help them love their children. Love is not an emotion, by the way, in this context. It is help them be in proper relationship. Help them serve each other, not wives serve your husbands. It's serve each other is really the biblical model. But um, he's talking about, listen, older women, help younger women like be in their marriages better. Um, help them love their children. Help them to be sensible and pure. Pure is a very difficult word here. Um, pure is a word that our culture does not like. But it's the truth. Part of what we're called to as believers is purity. Um, and part of how that happens is accountability. If you find a man who will not be accountable with other men, you will find a man who will eventually stumble into sin. Um, it is the truth. I, I interviewed for a pastor job in southern Indiana. And the pastor there would regularly do sermons about how you can reach a point where you never sin anymore. And he said publicly, repeatedly, I never sin anymore. And he preached those sermons all the way up until he ran away with one of the Sunday school teachers, both of them leaving their spouses and kids. The problem with preaching that way is you stand up and you say, I don't sin. But then when you start to struggle, who do you talk to? Well, I've got to keep up appearances, right? In reality, when it talks about purity, when it talks about relationship with family when it talks about this stuff what it's talking about is it's talking about accountability if i can't turn around and sit down with with brooke or with michael or with with jeremy or with anyone and say i am struggling today i'm going to get stuck because this is part of what believers are called to and it's part of discipleship and everybody needs it we just do um we keep going to love their children to be sensible pure workers at home uh, kind, subject to being, or subject to their own husbands, um, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, I'm going to back up here. I am not trying to start a fight about how husbands and wives are supposed to interact and wives are supposed to be slaves to husbands. It's actually not what the scripture says at all. Um, so if you're hearing me say that, or if you're hearing that here, that the woman's place is just in the home, that's not really what the text is saying either. Um, this is a cultural setting and all this other stuff. I'm not talking about that. Please don't get distracted. Um, my wife makes more money than I do and has since we met. Pretty much, right? Have I ever out-earned you? And I love that she makes more money than me. Having a sugar mama is one of the greatest blessings in life, I, especially such an attractive one. Um, I really can't believe it. I, you win. I, I can't. Why? So God will not be dishonored. Why? Because when I stand up and say, I am a follower of Jesus, when you go out into the world and say, I am a follower of Jesus, and then you fail, who does it reflect on? You, and it reflects on God, ultimately, right? And I'm not saying we should do things for appearances, but I'm going to tell you, I really appreciate everything Jesus has done for me. I appreciate everything God does for me. I wake up every morning, I walk to work, I turn around, I look at the mountains, and I thank God that I live in a place so beautiful. I thank God that he has not dumped me over the side because I'm a terrible person. Um, I thank God that he's blessed me far beyond what I deserve with beautiful children despite this. Um, I thank God for everything. And you know what? The last thing I want to do is embarrass him, right? It is absolutely the last thing I want to do. I want to reflect him well. Why? Because I'm grateful and also because I want other folks to know him. And when I fail, when we fail, when it reflects badly on God, we make it harder for folks to come to Jesus. We just do. It's the truth, isn't it? How easy is it to look at the moral failures of a preacher and say, well, that's what all Christians are like. Well, in fact, all Christians are sinners, right? But I'm saved by grace. I'm thankful I'm saved by grace because if it wasn't any other way, I'd be in trouble. 
Um, and we're, we're here to tell you, you can be saved by grace too. You can be forgiven and have new life and not be enslaved to sin. It's awesome. All right, we're going to keep going because I'm long. I'm really sorry. Um, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. We're going to hit pause here. He's writing a personal letter to Titus, okay? Paul shifts gears, and he starts talking to Titus directly. Titus is a young man, right? So he gives directions for older women to teach younger women, but he doesn't give directions for older men to teach younger men because Titus is young, and Titus is going to be the most spiritually mature guy in the room, right? Titus is an apostle. I mean, he's, like, got this position. And so when he shifts, he says, listen, Titus, you, right, because he uses the word your, right, um, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity of doctrine, meaning know your stuff and don't screw it up. Like it, it, you know, be faithful to what God teaches. Don't bring other junk in there that doesn't belong. Dignified, sound in speech, right, sound in speech, meaning what comes out of your mouth reflects him, is accurate to him. And is said with an attitude that is in keeping with him, right? Um, which is beyond reproach, meaning like nobody should be able to approach you and say, you've screwed up. What you're saying is wrong. How you're saying it is wrong. Do it right. Be sure that you're keeping your standard as high as possible. This is not just so that folks look at you and say you're doing a good job of being godly. It's actually because the outside of you should reflect the inside of you. If you are new in Christ, that should come out and it should be obvious, right? If I, I had a... A Saturn, and my Saturn was the crappiest car. I'm sorry, I just said it that way. I'm a bad person. But it was the worst car I've ever owned. It leaked so bad there was standing water in the floorboards all the time. Um, I put five engines in that car while I was driving. I could do it in under eight hours, like by the time I was done. It, it eventually caught fire. Um, it, it was an awful car. It was in awful shape. It, it, the cooling system didn't work, so I had to drive with the heat all the way up all year round so it'd be 10 below and i'd have the windows open because i'm scorching from the heat and i'm freezing on this side because the windows are open it was a bad car when i replaced it i expected it to work better (laughs) because the new car shouldn't have been as junky as the old car us as new creations should act like new creations right our insides should be reflected outside in our behavior and our lifestyle and our everything um and so that's part of what he's talking about here all right so that The opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. This was during a period where Christians were beginning to be persecuted. And it was really easy, like, for anybody to persecute you. They could take you to court just for being a Christian. Like, it was actually Roman court at the time. It was really loose laws and stuff. If I were to say, you know what, that Brooke guy is a Christian, I could take him to court, say he's a Christian. He would be tortured for it. And then I would get some of his stuff as a reward. Um, And... and Paul is saying, listen, if this is going to happen, be sure that folks look at you and they think, that's a guy I want to be like, not, that's a guy whose stuff I can take, right? Be above reproach. Um, He goes on, 9 and 10, um, urge bond servants to be, I was actually going to skip over this, but it, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters. This is actually talking about slaves. Is this an endorsement of slavery? No. Nowhere in the text, nowhere in the Bible does it actually say slavery is a good thing. What Paul is saying here is, if you are a slave and you are a Christian, do your job right. Don't, you know, show up to work and act like a jerk. 
reflect Jesus and understand you've got a reward coming. He's not praising slavery, okay? Um, be subject to their own masters and everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Um, he addresses them specifically, I think, because um, I think slaves got a lot of attention from Christians because there were a lot of slaves who became Christians because it was, it was a promise of something better that they could never have in their culture, right? And, and Paul spends a lot of time saying, look, guys, I know it's not a good place to be. Do the best you can. Reflect Jesus where you're at. Stand taller than everybody else. Um, and that's what he's doing here. Um, and it's, it's the same instructions. Don't steal, don't lie. Be a reflection of Jesus. Um, he goes on, for by the grace of God, this is, this is the substance of it, right? So he says, behave this way. And then he says, for by the grace of God has a, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of a, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you're supposed to live this way because Jesus came and died for you, right? And because we're called to step away from the world and live like Jesus. That's it. We're supposed to watch for Jesus to come back and we're supposed to reflect his glory and that's it. That's why you live good. Um, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, um, zealous for good deeds, meaning love, love, love to do things to bless other people. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul closes out this chapter. He says, listen. And listen carefully. If you heard nothing else I've said today, I know I'm running a little long and I'm boring and everything else. Last part, okay, and this is a big deal. Jesus died for you. Because he died for you, be zealous, be excited, be powerful in your joy and energy to go out and serve him and reflect him and to show people who he is so that they can be saved too. Live it. Don't just say it. When you do say it, say it right. But live it, not because you're earning heaven, not because of anything, but because the outside should reflect the spiritual reality of your inside. The rubber needs to hit the road in our lifestyle. Now, if you are sitting here and you're saying, I struggle here, I struggle here, I struggle here, I'm bad at speaking to people in love, I really love gossip, and I can't seem to quite stop it because that's one of my problems, I have all of these things that I'm failing at, look around the room. All right, take a quick second to look around the room. There are some people in this room who are some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. I thank God every day that I get to serve a church with people like some of the folks here, like, like Jim Durga, honestly, and like um, Brooke Anderson, and, and, and like the folks here who are like Jimmy, honestly, who's one of the most amazing servant people I've ever met, um, and is probably annoyed for me pointing him out even. There are some godly, amazing folks, some folks that understand stuff and know stuff and like have lived through difficulty and reflected God's grace in it. And those people, is there anybody here not willing to help a brother or sister grow in their faith? If you approach anyone in this room, if you approach me, women, there are gals in this room who are godly and amazing people. If you struggle, like step up and ask. And not like, hey, can we sit down and can you teach me? It's, hey, can we have coffee? Hey, can we have lunch? Hey, can we visit for a little while? I'd like to talk to you. Um, hey, I have some spiritual stuff I want to talk about. Um, this is how discipleship is supposed to work. 
It's not a class. It's not um, like some cheesy thing that we do once a week. It's something that we live as a lifestyle, a lifestyle of inner relationship. And we're all called to do it. If you have spiritual maturity, your job is to, is to bring it to other people. If you struggle, your job is to look to each other. If you've got to mature, your job is to stand together. Um, my challenge for you this week, and I'm, this is serious, my challenge for you this week is to look at your heart and look at your life and ask, what is God calling me to do with this? It's not that he's not calling you because he's calling you to do something. The question is, what is he calling you to do? And are you doing it? Um, we're going to close in prayer, and we are long. I have to go to the Methodist Church to preach after this, so I'm only going to be around for a few minutes. I'm really sorry. Um, this is the last week I'll be preaching over there, so I'll be here full time, and I'll be hanging around after church. Sorry. Uh, let's close in prayer, and I'll, we'll do a blessing. We'll finish. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to help us to reflect you. Help us to, to walk in harmony with your will and your way. Help us to be people who are people of the book, people who, whose outward reality reflects the new spiritual life that we have in Christ. And I pray that you would be with the folks here who need to grow and need to mature and need to, need to step into that next stage of development, moving away from the two cans on a string like so they can communicate the gospel effectively through their lives. Um, help them to upgrade um, and help them to have the courage and the desire to do so. I pray that you would um, be with the older folks here, the folks who know their stuff, the folks who are mature spiritually, and help them to share the gospel with everybody they encounter. Help them to disciple and mature others. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand up and we'll uh, close with our blessing.